Hello friends, welcome back. Welcome back to the board game review room. I am Paco Garcia and as you know, or if you don't, because it may be the first time that you listen to this podcast. This podcast is all about interviewing amazing people who happen to be in the board game business. Um, we, we have had to... Um, you know, change a little bit of the furniture from from the last time. Um, because uh, you know, we, we have Uwe Eichert sitting down without the shirt in this vinyl little um sofa that we had, and there were some stains that it's been difficult to get rid of. So, um, we, we had a different sofa at the moment, uh, to which I, I have invited to join me, uh, both. Um, but by the way, I am Paco Garcia, your your crazy host, and I have a co-host today again. Um, he seems to be making something out of a habit uh, with this. Uh, Michael, hello. I told you I was yeah. going to copy the keys and join you. Yeah, I, that electrifying things obviously is not enough. But with us, we do have someone vastly trendy, more exciting which than doesn't me. take much either. Uh, with us today, friends of the podcast, um, we have Ed Marriott. Um, Ed, welcome, welcome to the room. Please. Do sit down, you know, make yourself comfortable. There is tea and coffee, you know, plenty of tea because we're in the UK. So hello. Well, hello, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. And I couldn't help but notice the excellent wallpaper you've chosen. And I also admit I've never seen wallpaper with peppers on it before, but I I, I feel that you really went the extra mile for me. This, why, why, thank this you. Thank you. So thank it's, you. it's very kind of you to notice. Not, not many people take the, you know, the time to, to look around and realize what little, you know, talent in interior design I actually happen to have. But thank you. Ed, you have at the moment a game in Kickstarter called Scoville's Feel the Burn, which uh, you're publishing with uh, Tasty Minstrel Games, uh, which is in itself pretty good recommendation because uh, TMG tend to do things quite well. Um, tell us a little bit, before we go into what the game is all about, tell us a little bit about uh, you. Who, who are you? Sure. Uh, I live in Wisconsin in the USA, and I'm a game designer who is working on several titles at the time, but Scoville will be my first published title now that it has funded on Kickstarter. It is still going, though, so we recommend your listeners to go and pledge away so we can get up to all the stretch goals. But as far as I'm concerned, I am uh, an engineer by trade, and I like to tinker around and solve puzzles and fix things and I've kind of brought that over to the game design world because I love playing board games as well. And that's a little bit of my background. So you have done um, Scoville. Um, did, did you grow up playing games? Is this um, a thing of the past or is this some new you know, talent that you discover you have? Well, I've been playing games for a long time. Uh, I grew up playing games like Monopoly and Sorry and Life and Aggravation and those typical Milton Bradley or Hasbro type of games. It wasn't until about five or seven-ish years ago that I started getting into gamer games like Agricola and Ticket to Ride and The Settlers of Catan. So, but once I did, I didn't turn back because those games are so awesome. And I was playing them and I, I'm like, hey, I think I could start making these. And so I started to design on the side just as a hobby. And one thing led to another. And eventually I came upon a design for Scoville. And here we are. So how long have you been working on Scoville now? Uh, Scoville in its current form had its first playtest January 11th last year, 2013. Um, I designed it the previous summer, the summer of 2012, and it was going to be a set collection card game 
And it, I realized that the way I was designing it wouldn't be a very good set collection card game. So I changed it all up and I added the grid mechanic and Scoville now is an excellent little town that loves their peppers. And from January 11th till now is just over a year. And it's been one of the most incredible years ever. Did the theme of Scoville, of, of you know, the, the chili peppers thing um, come because you actually like chili peppers or is this just some crazy idea that popped into your mind? Uh, I don't <laughs> like chili peppers. I'm not a fan. So it, I, I almost wish I, I started eating peppers over the past year so that when this question comes up, I can say, <laughs> oh, yeah, I love peppers. My mouth can't feel a thing, but hey, they're great. No, I, I chose the theme first because of the nerd side of me, the engineer, and that Scoville heatness, the hotness scale, and with the Scoville heat units of peppers and how they measure all that. And I thought that was a really cool thing to add into a mechanic where, like peppers, you can start with bland or not very hot peppers and crossbreed to get better peppers. And the theme and mechanic together just seemed to be a really cool thing. So I'm like, hey, let's go for this. I think it works really well. It's just something that already exists that can be turned into a board game pretty easily. So, No, that sounds, that sounds, um, sounds good. Uh, it, it, it is, though, a pretty wacky theme. How how did you actually decide um, to go for the chili pepper theme? I mean, did, well, I guess what I'm asking is, did the mechanics come first and then uh, you looked for a theme that fit into it? Or did you come from the very beginning, I, I want to do something with, with chili peppers? From the very beginning, it was about the chili peppers. When I first came up with the design, it was a set collection game about breeding peppers. And so I wanted people to always have... I'm typically a theme-first designer, and so I picked this one because I knew it had intrinsic mechanics with that hotness scale that would work. And even though it was a set collection card game, which is vastly different from the game that people can pledge for today, uh, the theme and mechanic of crossbreeding was always there. So you've said a bit about mechanics in this game. Do you reckon you can give us a bit of an overview of how this game functions, just so the listeners can get a grasp on the idea that you're bringing to Kickstarter? Certainly, yes. Uh, it's actually very simple from a mechanics perspective. The game is played over a variable number of rounds, and each round has four phases. There is a blind auction where players will bid any number of coins, including zero, and then all bids are revealed at the same time, and then whoever bids the highest gets to choose the spot they want in the turn order. They could choose to go first, they could choose to go last, they could choose any spot they want. Then the next highest bid will choose their spot, and that's how the turn order is set with that auction. After that, there is a planting phase where players will plant one of their own peppers into the field. Everybody has to plant one. And then after the planting phase, there's a harvesting phase. And this is where the game gets really interesting. Harvesting happens in reverse player order. That's why you might want to choose to go last during the, the turn order part. But then when you harvest, you move your pawn through the fields and every time your pawn moves between two different peppers, you reference the crossbreeding chart because those two peppers are going to breed. For example, if you walk between a yellow and a blue pepper, those two are going to breed a green pepper. So you would add a green to your supply. At the next spot, if you're between a red and a blue, those would breed a purple and you would add that to your supply. So you're choosing where you want to plant peppers based on what peppers you want to harvest. So if your pawn is by peppers where you could get purple, then you might want to plant something else because you're already going to get a purple. Uh, 
Um, after the harvesting phase, when all players have moved their pawns and got their peppers, then you come to the fulfillment phase. And during the fulfillment is where you basically turn peppers into the town and you get rewards back. So you could complete a market order and it might allow you to get other peppers or coins or points, or you could turn them in and you could get, uh, you could fulfill a recipe. And the recipes are the big way to add heat to the town and get the most points for you. So a, a phase, a round of the game has the auction phase, the planting phase, the harvesting phase, and the fulfillment phase. Gone to some lengths to keep this game looking absolutely stunning. The mechanics you describe, I could very easily visualize a fairly dry looking Euro game. There's definitely Euro mechanics here. There's very little of random, you've not mentioned dice at all. And yet you've gone to the effort to try and craft a beautifully designed game. I mean, this is Tasty Minstrel's involvement as well. I'm sure they do turn out stunning products. I mean, I'm even looking at things where saying you've made it colorblind friendly as well. Yes. Yeah, I think that the, the artist, specifically Josh Capel, has done a fantastic job taking my original prototype and just turning it into a beautiful, beautiful product. So how's this colorblindness system work then? Because you're describing colored cubes. Right. So the way that they've chosen to solve the colorblind issue is by having different sized components in the game. Uh, on the Kickstarter page itself, if you scroll down near the bottom, there's an image that shows an example of how they're solving this. So there's different levels of peppers in the game. There's primary peppers, which are red, yellow, and blue. Those would be cubes at this point. Then there's secondary peppers, green, orange, and purple. Those will be taller than cubes. And then there's advanced peppers, brown, white, and black, which will be even taller. And then the platinum peppers will be the tallest. So you have these four different tiers of peppers that are at different heights. And so within any one tier, there shouldn't really be any colorblind issue across that tier. Hmm. That's a nice touch. I think it'll work really well. Yeah, it'd be nice to think. It's always nice to see when these issues are approached, and it's a very different way to approach it. I mean, we've seen different patterns on cards to identify the colors as well, but different sizes yeah. of cube. It's a nice way of getting around it. It's nice mm. to see that people are considering it. Mm -hmm. Also, the breeding grid. I noticed that as a component, the, uh, the cross-breeding grid for the peppers. That's right. beautifully laid out, too. Uh, it's interesting that you don't always just get one pepper, either. If you can get two of the same color together, you can actually get more than one pepper out of that move. Right. And that's an interesting part about the, the crossbreeding is because as the map, the grid itself in the fields is being built and planted throughout the game, you're going to be moving away from those primary colors as you get into the secondary colors and the black and white as you're trying to get up to breeding platinum peppers. But if you needed red, yellow, or blue back, uh, if you needed them near the end of the game, You've got to either move your pawn back toward the middle to get some or hope that you held on to them um, because those can actually become the commodity near the end of the game that you wouldn't expect. You wouldn't expect red, yellow, and blue to be important, but there might be recipes that still require them. So, ah, so the, uh, the market evolves as the game goes on. It's nice. yeah, the yeah, the market evolves every game differently based on how people are planting in the fields and based on the recipes that come up in the game because those are different every game as well and even the market orders are variable there's there's enough to make it random from game to game um in terms of the the complexity of the game itself one thing that worries me from time to time is how um if you play a very experienced player with a non-experienced uh, with a novice into the game 
the novice will have absolutely no chance of winning whatsoever, thus making the, the game no particularly pleasant experience. How does the game balance between the experience and the novice players in order to avoid that, that pitfall? Sure, I'll give you a, a great example. I took the game to the BGG Con, Board Game Geek mm -hmm. Convention down in Dallas in November, and I demoed it extensively. And during one of those demos, I played it with uh, a few friends of mine who hadn't played before, and they took first, second, and third, and they were within nine points of each other. And I, as the designer, came in last, wow. and I lost by 20 points. And it, I am not a player who will <laughs> let other people win. I always play to win. I will not give you anything during a game. Good and man. so I thought it was, that's, I think it's a good example to show that the, despite me having played many, many times, this game is often on a very equal footing. It's easy to pick up so people can understand it very quickly. And you often can't win on experience alone. Sounds very good. You talk about uh, a variable number of rounds. Is that linked to player count to keep it balanced? Or is there a different reason for it? It's a different reason. The game plays over kind of two, two sessions. There's the morning session of the Chili Festival and the afternoon session of the Chili Festival. And those only triggered when the market orders fall below the number of players. So if you're playing conservatively and you don't have enough peppers to fulfill those market orders, then the game will take a little bit longer. But if you're continually fulfilling market orders every turn, that'll speed up the game. It'll bump you into the afternoon session. And then that's also used as the end game trigger. So it could be any number of rounds. The shortest game I ever played was six rounds, which was quite brief. And the longest I've ever played was 14. But they usually come in from seven to 10 rounds. It's interesting to see it used. That's right. I was going to ask, is, Sorry, is that the reason why the game can take anything between 60 and 90 minutes, the, the number of rounds? Or is it because of the number of players that the game can take as well? That's usually more okay. based on number of players. You could probably switch it to 15 to 20 minutes per player. I found that that's a more representative number, but you don't typically put 15 mm. to 20 minutes per player on the box. So. So if people were to back this, do you have an idea of when you're hoping to see it hit markets, when we'd hope to see it in stores as well after Kickstarter has been fulfilled? Well, as the designer, I'd like to see it hit the streets in about a month. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the publisher, so I think they're looking at November, but I'm not involved on that end at all. So I couldn't give you a, I couldn't give you a number, a date. Um, in terms of your Kickstarter, how did the relationship with uh, Taste Minstrel Games start? I had met Michael Mendez and Seth Jaffe, who is the game developer at Tasty Minstrel. I met them at Gen Con in Indianapolis in 2012. And I was talking with them about game design, about publishing, and we ended up going to dinner and just kind of got connected that way. It was more of a networking opportunity than I have a game I'd like to pitch to you. Let's go hang out. It wasn't like that at all. It was just like, I want to get to know you. Let's hang out and, and chat about game stuff. So. I met them in 2012, and eventually, after Scoville kind of took to Twitter a little bit back in March, they contacted me and asked for a prototype. So it worked out pretty well. It has indeed. Um, the other thing I've noticed about this um, this Kickstarter, um, you only have three pledge levels: one for the U.S., one for Canada, and another one worldwide. How were those? Um, pledge levels reached? Why only three? There's, there doesn't seem to be any limited edition stuff to go for Kickstarter or, or anything. 
Right. I think that has mostly to do with Tasty Minstrel's publishing side of things. I know they don't like to do Kickstarter exclusives, and I couldn't okay. answer why or why not. Uh, and I think the different pledge levels for the different for U.S., for Canada, or worldwide has to do with the shipping. But again, I'm not involved on, on the publishing side, and I, I'd be guessing. Okay. If no, I were no, that's right enough. I mean, the reason why it, it came very clearly to mind to me is because you have uh, the $40 pledge for the United States, and then you have nearly 800 backers in there. And then uh, it's mm -hmm. 75 for worldwide, which would include the, the UK, and only 65 backers, which is not a great number. Um, is the game going to be distributed in shop right. internationally as well? Um, and maybe that's why people are not backing the project at the moment, because it's nearly twice as much as you would have to pay if you were in the US. Right. Yeah, it is nearly twice, although it is only 15 higher than MSRP. Um, but I, I understand that. It does seem high. And I, from what I know, T Tasty Minstrel does distribute to Europe. I'm not sure how extensively. Um, I wish that worldwide number would be uh, a little higher in terms of backers or a little lower in terms of price, but again, I, that's a publisher thing. And, no, I'm, I'm sure there are reasons behind yeah. it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. It's, it's just that it really caught my eye because you see these days a huge amount of uh, Kickstarter projects with you know 15 different pledge levels and mega meeples that walk and cook you dinner and stuff like that. Um, but obviously, <laughs> you're just going for, this is, you know, right. we just want to publish the game, just buy it kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's kind of their approach Which to is, this one. Yeah, it's, it's indeed fair enough. Uh, and also, what, okay, you, you have already funded, you know, people are going to get their games. Um, what happens to both Scoville and uh, to you? Are there do you have plans for expansions? How is the game going to be supported? Uh, that's a that's a great question. I know that I do have plans for adding an expansion to the game. I've been stewing on that a little bit lately because of all the stuff going on right now. Scoville is just about the only thing on my mind lately. I do have plans, and that would go through Tasty Minstrel as well. Other than that, I, I don't know. I, I have other games I'm working on, but from the Scoville end, We'll just take it how, how it goes. That, that makes uh, perfect sense to me. That's absolutely fine. But and what are your ambitions regarding continuing in the industry? Is this going to be a pastime sort of thing? Or are you really going to devote more effort uh, in the future to, to bring out more games? There are two approaches I could choose from at this point. Well, I guess three. I could just quit while I'm ahead. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't sound very fun. Or I could just keep designing games and working with publishers to put them out. Or I could find a few close friends who may want to enter the publishing game. And that's something that some friends and I have actually been toying with to kind of entering the publishing gig because of how Kickstarter works so well for small, small timers that you can really get the upfront mm. capital you need to put out a game. Um, but as of right now, the answer would be I will keep working on games and trying to come up with new games that have new twists to different mechanics. I, I don't want to just put out another worker placement game or another deck builder game. I want to keep trying to make games that have something new that people haven't seen before. That's my approach. And the bottom line for me is, as long as I'm having fun, I'll keep doing it. The moment it stops being fun, I'm, I'm going to... You know, I think anyone will support you on that one. I think it's, it's more than fair enough indeed. So are there any current projects that you can let us know a little bit about that we can hope to see in the near future? 
Sure, I can let you in on one. It's a worker placement game, and it's all about building the Brooklyn Bridge in New York. So it's got kind of a Euro, a typical Euro-type theme where you, you've got resource management, you're trying to build something. But the twist is sort of along the lines of mm. Zulkin, the Mayan calendar, where in Zulkin you have gears, and it makes it a time-based worker placement game. This does sort of the same thing, but with an added twist, where... The example I keep telling people is, say you send some worker into the brickyard and you want to collect bricks, okay? If you're alone in the brickyard, you can collect a lot of bricks and it takes a few turns. Every turn you wait and don't harvest from the brickyard, you'll bump up on a track and you'll be able to harvest more. However, if another player sends a worker into that same brickyard, then your progress in there is slowed. And so your time track of bumping up now zigzags and you don't earn as much for every turn that you're waiting. So there's a lot of interaction built into that simple twist on a time-based mechanic where now you got to determine if you want to send workers into other workyards where, where other players are, or do you want to go to one that's empty so you can get a lot quickly? But then the other thing is, when do you harvest? When do you pull your worker back to claim all those bricks so that you can actually use them to build the bridge, which is how you get points? So there's a lot of intrinsic interaction with this time-based worker placement mechanic in the game. I think it could be a lot of fun, and I'm hoping to get a prototype ready for a convention here in the States in March. Sounds like uh, you went with the theme you weren't so keen on with the Peppers, personally, and this time you've let what you do as a career, the engineer, and you run right and do something that feels very comfortable. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the bridge building is, is fantastic. I think that the whole project, if you... If you watch any uh, documentaries about the Brooklyn Bridge, it's just a fascinating project. Ed, thank you very much for, for having been with us um, today. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very it's seriously very interesting uh, to see what, what you're doing. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this crossbreeding um, mechanism uh, that you have come up with because that you know I was very skeptical. Uh, to start with, uh, because when Michael told me about this game, I'll, I'll be very honest with you about it. I just thought it called another farming game. Um, uh, and I was very curious as to right. what <laughs> what could it offer that some other games like, you know, Agricola or Labora hasn't already come up with. And that cross-breeding mechanism, it sounds really, really interesting. Thank you. I appreciate that. One of the problems we've actually kind of come across is with Scoville, the, the mechanics and the gameplay seem so simple that people kind of pass off the game. They're like, oh, it doesn't sound interesting. But the meat of the game is that harvesting mechanic and cross-breeding. There's so many interesting decisions that you need to make from choosing your turn order, which can be huge in the game, to which pepper do you want to plant, to where do you need to go to harvest, where do you want to end the turn so that you can set yourself up for the next turn, and do you want to hold off on planting a specific pepper to use it in a recipe, or do you want to plant it to get the bonus points? The game is really full of interesting decisions. And hopefully people can see that the rules are available for, for reading on the Kickstarter page. But that, that cross-breeding mechanic, I think, has quite a bit more depth than, than surface level. I like to call this an iceberg game, where glancing at it, you'll only see that 10% that's above the water. But the rest of the game, that 90% is under the waterline, and it's there. you, you got to... So, Out yeah, of curiosity, <laughs> before we say goodbye properly, have you run how many permutations you can have in this game? Uh I don't think so. There, because it's so random with how people are planting in the game, you, you can get, it's almost infinite. I would have to say it, it, the way the map could be built is almost infinite. 
no two games I've ever played, and that's over a hundred combined with playing and with demos, have ever been the same. You'll you won't find it because the way players plant is different every game. The market orders that are up are different from game to game. The recipes that are available are different from game to game. And the personalities of the people you're playing with are different. And so some people may be very conservative and only plant the, the primary and secondary peppers and hold on to all the better ones, where the next time you play, somebody might go crazy going for the, the bonus points. And so they're planting the brown and the white and the black in the field. And so the, the field is so different. So. As far as the number of permutations, it's got to mm. be ridiculously mm. high. <laughs> we like that number. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, thank you very much indeed for, for being with us today. It's, it's It really has been an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to see that the game is, is doing so well, that the Kickstarter is doing so so well indeed. Uh, and we wish you all, all the very, very best. And hopefully you will be able to unlock a few of the really interesting um, stretch goals that, that you have in, in this project. Well, I thank you so much for your time, guys. It's been a pleasure to be on. And you can cheer and chant with me, ADK, <laughs> all the way, so that we get up to those peppers. Love it. Love it. Yes, ADK, all the, all way. the way. ADK, all the way. Thank you for listening. Your hosts for this podcast have been Paco, Michael, and Max. This podcast has been produced by Michael Chamberlain with help from Paco Garcia. The music has been composed by Kevin We would love to hear from you. Feedback and your questions are always welcome, and you can email us at podcast.gmsmagazine.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, we are at GMS Magazine, and we are on Facebook and Google+, Plus, and we'd be more than happy to talk to you. Remember to subscribe to the GMS Magazine podcast channel in iTunes and please do give us a review and a rating, which is truly appreciated. For more quality shows, listen to our other rooms, the RPG room, the board game room and the interview rooms. But until next time, let the games continue.